The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and today we're talking about one of the most important work skills, influence. Learn how to get what you want without compromising who you are from the professor behind Yale School of Management's most popular class, Dr. Zoe Chance, and she's also the author of a new book called Influence is Your Superpower. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Zoe. Thank you, Lauren. Great to meet you. I love your show, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. Such a compliment. Well, let's start by having you briefly introduce yourself and explain your background and what it was about quote unquote influence that really interested you. Cause I'm sure you could have studied and, and, you know, gone down a ton of different directions with your work. My name is Zoe Chance. I'm a professor at Yale School of Management, where I teach the most popular course. It's on interpersonal influence. And this book that I've just written, Influence is Your Superpower, is based on a lot of that work and the workshops I've been leading with leaders around the world for the past decade. My background is in marketing and sales. I was a brand manager for Barbie. You and I share an alma mater. I did my MBA at USC. And I also have done a lot of work in theater. And that's what has sparked my curiosity and delving into the area of charisma. That's so cool that you teach the most popular class at Yale. I feel like that's like, you know, when they say, say an interesting fact about yourself, like that's got to be one of the best ones I've heard. Congratulations on having that. Thank you. And let me clarify. I do teach the most popular course at Yale School of Management, but my colleague, Lori Santos, who's in the psychology department and teaches undergrads, teaches the most popular course at the university, which is the science of happiness course. She's on Coursera and I recommend it to everybody. It's great. Yeah, I was going to say, I I definitely have heard that before and I'm pretty sure, I don't know if I finished it, but I definitely started it. And I can only say, I really wish there had been happiness courses and influence courses when I was in college. So I mean, they have it good. So let's talk. If you didn't Mm -hmm. finish a Coursera course, like other people listening might have not finished a Coursera course, I think that puts you in the 90% of people who started (laughs) it. So nobody should feel bad about that. 
<laughs> yes, especially I feel like during COVID, there were a lot of things I started I may or may not have finished, <laughs> including the gardening, the cooking project, whatever it was. It's so it was funny to I was talking to someone the other day. I'm like, remember that time in COVID when we were all about cooking and like then we all moved to that next stage and that next stage. So okay, but I know no one wants to talk about that. So let's talk about influence. And can you describe what exactly influence means and why does it matter at work? I think of influence very broadly as being anything that shifts someone's thinking or behavior. And where it gets kind of sticky is that some people want to know what's the difference between influence and manipulation. Manipulation is a type of influence, but it's something that's underhanded and the other person would feel bad or not like you if they knew what you were doing. And then um, people ask about the difference between influence and persuasion. And persuasion also is influence. And this is influence through communication and words. And gotcha. this is critical at work and in life for getting anything done with anyone ever. So if you made a list of what are all of the dreams that I have that I wish would come true, big and small, personal, professional, almost every single one of them has you needing to influence someone, even if it's just yourself to be, I don't know, baking sourdough bread instead of watching the next Netflix episode or whatever that <laughs> yeah. is. I, I'm curious too, do people ever ask what's the difference between influence and managing up? Because- I could see managing up being like a close relative to this. This again is it's influence. And I believe that that's a key part of influence. I feel very strongly that all of us who have bosses are responsible for managing those relationships with our bosses. And we can talk more about that if you want, but this is (laughs) one of the big frustrations among especially junior and middle managers that I talk to and that I teach. So people who have some good professional experience, they're ambitious, they want to get ahead. And almost all of us have bad bosses. So we need to navigate that. Yeah. How, I mean, I was going to ask more about what are the misconceptions about influence, but I think this is actually a better direction is like, what do you do about that? Especially for the person who's like, I'm not lacking like my ambition or my skill set, but I have this person who's standing in my way. Yeah. First of all, I find it liberating to learn about research done by big organizations like Gallup on leadership, who says that 90% of managers are bad bosses. What that means is you're probably a bad boss. You probably have a bad boss. And there actually shouldn't be judgment around this idea of not being a good manager. All that it means is that we haven't had enough training in what it takes to be a good manager, and we don't have incentive systems set up at work to actually reward good management and encourage us. So the person in the relationship who cares most about the relationship and that it's going well is the employee. So it's our responsibility. And one of the key things that almost all of us can do to manage up better is to be better communicators about what we're already doing. And this is key for if you have a micromanager, they will feel so much better if they just know exactly what you're working on on a regular basis and what your priorities are. So things like weekly, if you do weekly check-ins or however often, have a template and have it say, these are my priority projects. Here's a list of all the other stuff we've talked about that I'm not working on right now. And so that way, when your bad boss is like, oh yeah, by the way, could you do these 17 other things? You can be like, yeah, of course. 
if those are the new priorities, I can do that. So what are we moving off of my plate? And, you know, what are we postponing till next week? And you're organized about what your kind of questions or resources you're asking your boss for. And then just by having a record that you're sharing with your boss in these conversations, when it's time to be asking for a raise or a promotion, it's really easy for you to put together the case for them where this says, here's all the stuff that you've been working on. So you have your priorities, you have your progress, and you can say in one page, like, here's the great stuff I've done. What else do you need from me to make a case for me to get to that next level? And the question that you can ask, that's, you can, everyone listening can ask this question tomorrow. It doesn't matter how long you've been in your job, including if it's zero days and you're just starting it. You can ask this question that I love for any influence situation, but especially this one, just say, what would it take for me to get to the next level? Or what would it take for me to be at the top of this salary band? Your manager, your bad boss wants you to thrive. They want you to do well, and they don't want it to be mysterious for you about what it would take. So they will absolutely tell you. And then you keep track, you keep records, you keep asking for their support and advice on this path. And then at some point, maybe it's the day after tomorrow, maybe it's in six months or however long, you come back and you say, okay, when, when we talked about my career trajectory, you told me what it would take was this. Here's how that's happened. Let's talk about how we can make this happen that I do get that outcome that you were asking for. And they, it doesn't matter if they're a bad boss. It's if they're not a mean person <laughs> or they don't hate you for some other reason, they'll support you to the best of their ability to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And and so this communication, almost like a consistent communication versus I think what people do is they communicate when they want something or when it's all of a sudden on their mind. But if you can create this habit of consistent communication, it's almost like you're creating all these little trails of influence that lead up to that influential moment, aka they give you the promotion, they give you the salary raise, they let you in on the project or the thing that you want, right? Yes. Yes. And another really important thing here is, again, applicable in all influence situations, but particularly this one, whatever it is that you want, you really need to be willing to ask and to be willing to ask more directly than you might be comfortable with if your subtle signals and expectations of mind reading don't pan out. So... (laughs) Like if you would like your boss to be telling their boss about the great thing that you're working on, don't just wait for them to do that. Ask them, would you be comfortable bragging about me? (laughs) Would you be comfortable sharing this with the company or sharing this with the leadership team? And so often people are willing to do for you so much more than naturally occurs to them. Yeah. So people are very generous more than you think usually. I think that too. And I feel like, indirect communication to your point, like the mind reading, or sometimes I joke, like we're not, you know, magic eight balls where you shake us and we give you the answer. It's like, there are so many things, especially in this show or even in the work I've done where I'm like, wow, this all just boils down to really direct communication. And we all just really struggle with this. And part of it, I think is like, we get in our own heads about something about being direct is unkind or like, isn't the right thing. And it's like, you know, what's unkind or maybe that's not the right word, like not helpful in these situations is expecting the other person to do the legwork to understand what you want. Or, you know, like, I I guess sometimes I'm like, I'm like, I need to play like devil's advocate and be like, 
No, by not being direct, you're asking your boss to do more work, which is figure out what you want from your subtle cues and the mind reading. And that's, no one has the time for that. And this quote unquote bad boss, they're not a bad boss. They're not just not a mind reader. They're just not taking the time out of their day to consider all these things for you. So being direct is actually, if as a boss too, I love when people are direct because yes, there's a way to deliver it. Like we can talk about the subtleness of that, but I like when people are direct because I want to know where people stand. Like it gives me anxiety to be like, where are we on this? Are you happy? Do you understand it? Do you like it? Did it you know, and it's like, I, I do think a lot of direct communication in a workplace and whatever your style is of doing that. Gosh, I think that would help a lot of small workplace problems that become, you know, the, the, the molehill that becomes the mountain. I feel like that, that could just nip it in the bud for sure. A lot of people dream of having their own business, but by having their own business, that also means running their own business. If you're living your entrepreneurial dream, but struggling with tedious administrative tasks, whether it be HR, payroll, or employee benefits, let Gusto help. Gusto offers all-in-one payroll and HR for growing businesses. From full-service payroll and benefits to team management tools and more, Gusto makes it easy to support your hardworking team in one intuitive platform. And Gusto is loved by both businesses and employees. We use Gusto, and I personally love that it has everything in one place. It's actually a total game changer. No more jumping from application to application. With Gusto, more customers are able to run payroll in 10 minutes or less. That saves so much time. Plus, Gusto helps with the hard stuff too. Filing payroll taxes, compliance, new state tax registration, and even international contractor payments in 90 countries and counting. Whether your team is in-person, remote, or a combination, with Gusto, keeping your team on track is easy. Like I mentioned earlier, I think Gusto is one of the most convenient platforms if you are a business owner that manages a team of people. No matter the size of your team, it's so important to have a good payroll and HR platform. Join the more than 200,000 new and growing businesses that are using Gusto to help build a great workplace for their employees. Right now, Gusto is offering our listeners three months free at gusto.com backslash Contessa. Get easy payroll benefits, HR, and a happier team. So go to gusto.com slash Contessa for your first three months free. That's gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash Contessa, C-O-N-T-E-S-S-A. All right, now let's get back to the show. What's up, everyone? I'm Kristen Cavallari. And I'm Stephen Coletti. We're so excited to announce Dear Media's new podcast, Back to the Beach with Kristen and Stephen, where we'll revisit all of your favorite episodes of Laguna Beach, The Real Orange County, and unveil behind-the-scenes secrets, tea, and all sorts of new insight into this groundbreaking show. So join us every Tuesday. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm already feeling nostalgic. Yes, it's so, so, so important, Lauren. And in this time of transition where we have 90% of employees, so this includes managers at all levels, are open to the idea of jumping ship at this moment in history. And what's going on for a lot of these people, and especially women even more than men, is that we didn't bring up the things that were making us uncomfortable in the time frame when there was a potential to solve them. And we just go in and quit when we've already found another job even we could have ended up negotiating. If we did want to quit, we could have ended up with something better than what we have already from that outside offer just by starting early. So 
for managers, employees, communication up, down, laterally, and in personal relationships too. One of the most important pieces I found about direct communication is that you do it as soon as you feel it, almost all the time, rather than waiting until it's just bursting out of you. And I'm someone who's, you know, a people pleaser, a nice person. And if you haven't communicated, if you haven't learned to communicate difficult topics in a kind way that's direct, then you don't communicate them because you don't want to be unkind or you're telling yourself like, "Mm, it's not a big deal. I should just let go. And then you just let it go too long. I had a, a boss who was running the executive education program at Yale. So I would work for her on a daily basis whenever they had programs and you get evaluated by the participants after every single workshop. So you get this qualitative and quantitative evaluation. So your boss knows exactly how your work is being perceived every single time you do it. (laughs) And Molly Nogler, who's now the chief learning officer at PepsiCo. So she was running that department. And anytime I had a session that was not as great as it could have been before the end of the workday, she would text me and she'd be like, Hey, can we check in about this session? And then she just delivers whatever it was like, okay, here's the thing that they said. So, you know, and, and she's great about letting you solve it and not telling you what to do, but she'll just say, so that's something, you know, for you to figure out for the future. And there's no bad feeling. And when you're giving critical criticism or anything that's like just delivering it before you have that feeling helps for the other person too, because then they don't feel like you were harboring this against them for so long. They felt betrayed. Oh, I, I completely agree. And then there's the, I mean, this is why I don't love the job hopping thing too. And we just had an episode on this is because the job hopping is sort of saying, instead of having these conversations ahead of time when they can be fixed, I'm just going to hop to the next thing. And the problem is you take yourself and your lack of direct communication wherever you go. And so, you you know, at some point in your career, you might not want to hop anymore or you might not want to do those things anymore, but you still haven't learned this critical skill of direct feedback or direct questioning or taking care of it right away. And it's it to your point, this isn't just like a work skill. This is and a lot of this stuff always ends up like this, where it's like, yeah, we're talking about this in the work context, but these are interpersonal skills that help in all your relationships. I want to talk about so you you said that there's there's one thing that influences behavior more than anything else. What's that one thing? It's simply ease. People tend to take the path of least resistance. And there are lots of scientific reasons for this. And my work on influence comes from the discipline of behavioral economics. In the book, I explain a lot of that, but I don't want to take time to explain the science of it now. And I'll just say the single best thing you can do to be more influential in every domain of your life is to make it as easy as possible for the other person to take that next baby step. Don't worry about getting them to the finish line at every stage figure out what is the next baby step and then figure out how can I make it easier for them to get there. This is life-changing, profit, transformational, promotion, uh, guaranteeing, just every single thing. Ask yourself, how can I make it even easier for them? It's not always easy for you to do the thing that's easy for them. So you take on work through this, but it's powerful. But I was also thinking you become the person where the reputation is they're really easy to work with and people love people that are easy to work with, Yes, (laughs) you know? So you also talk about 
that our go-to negotiation strategies probably are making us less influential. So what are those go-to negotiation strategies you're referring to and why do they make us less influential? One of the go-to negotiation strategies is just the idea of compromise and splitting the difference. And people tend to go immediately to either let's split the difference or let me be generous by just giving you my bottom line. And both men and women do the first, let's split the difference. But women, especially even more than men, tend to just go in with my bottom line because I don't want to have to negotiate. So Mm -hmm. what happens, this one is particularly pernicious because I'll give you my, the most I can possibly give you. I'm putting it all on the table, but you don't know that that's really the most I can give you. So you ask me for more and then I hate you because you are so greedy asking for more when I'm being so generous. And then I'm, I can't budge because I have nothing left. And then you see me as being greedy or stingy or difficult to work with. And so you like me less when I was thinking that you should like me more. I like you less because of this thing that I did. And a lot of times we just come to a standstill and we can't even make an agreement. What happens just from the simple, simple practice of when you have a one-off kind of negotiation, like let's say you're one of those people finding a new job or you are negotiating a retention raise or increase, which everyone working right now should have because you're now paying a tax of 7% to stay at your job compared to people who are coming in new. Mm -hmm. When you negotiate this, don't just ask for 7%. Like know that that's the average, but if you ask for 7%, then that's going to be the top of what you get. So instead you would go in and find other benchmarks to ask for more. And then what happens when you have room to negotiate? First of all, in my experience of coaching lots of people through negotiations like this, it happens 20 to 30% of the time that you get what you ask for that you didn't expect at all, even when you gave this buffer. So you go, oh my God, how much have I lost during the whole course of my life yeah, until now by not By not that. asking, yeah. <laughs> but then if there is a situation where, you know, you don't get that big thing you ask for and you make a concession, the other party you're negotiating with feels like a good negotiator. They feel like you're generous and you're flexible and easy to work with and you get this kumbaya. So in a one-off negotiation, there's almost never a reason if it's meaningful to not give yourself a buffer. And also just to not, I'm not telling all people listening to be as greedy as possible and get as much as you can, whether it's money or other things that we're talking about. But I would like you to have all of the options and all the possibilities and as much opportunity as you can. And then you get to be generous with it. So, and again, this is women in particular, a lot of us don't ask for more than we expect to get or more than we think we deserve. We kind of sit back and wait for money to rain down from the sky because we're working so hard and we deserve it. But there's also this feeling that I, I don't need to ask for more than I need. I'm already fine. I'm already okay. Listeners on this show, you already are fine. You already are okay. If you were in desperate circumstances, you wouldn't be listening to a podcast right? So 
you're fine, you're okay. But when you have more money, more time, more people reporting to you, more flexibility, you can be more generous in addition to being more effective. So Mm -hmm. asking for a lot is not the same as being tremendously selfish. It's getting options so that you can do with them whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And so what you see in your research is people will start with, here's my bottom line. And you're saying, let's say your bottom line is 7%. Don't start at 7%. Give yourself a buffer because most people are going to find a compromise or want to split the difference or something like that. So don't put yourself in that situation where then you become resentful. They're resentful. You know, the whole thing is like, and I, I do think a lot of this too. I, I think having the information helps you. It's like the more informed you are, the better you can make a decision or the better you can make, come up with a strategy of like, so like, I do think awareness of like the research you're talking about that you have in your book. Like, I do think it's really important for people to know this stuff because I think if you know it, you can change your strategy and be more successful with it. And oftentimes I think people will have a strategy. It's not successful. And they're like, Oh, it was me. It's me. It's me. And it's like, no, it's probably, it, it could be the strategy and just truly doesn't work for like human behavior very well. Right. Like to your point, the number one thing you can do for human behavior is make it easy for them to say yes. And if you've created obstacles in any way, it's not you personally, it's the strategy created too many bumps in the road and took the, maybe the focus or the distraction away. I I love the whole, I always tell people when they ask me for like networking advice, I'm like, make it easy for them to say yes. Like if you're available only on these two times in the whole 30 days, guess what? My, and you send me too much information, my brain just shuts down. I can't do it. And I know that's like a small example, but the point being is like, work backwards from how can I make this really easy for them to say yes? Or in the negotiation, how can I make it really easy for us to get to the place where most people are feel satisfied with? I think, I think all that helps for sure. Yeah. And another thing that most people don't do is look for things that you could do in a negotiation that would have the other party be happy and not use them as horse trading kinds of, well, if you do this, I'll do that where it's transactional, but just treating the other person like a human being in a relationship where you say like, you know, hey, I have this or I could do this. Is that something that would be helpful for you? And maybe it's a sacrifice and you need to ask them for something. But a lot of times, if you treat the other person like a human being rather than like a pot of money or a gatekeeper to resources, then your generosity sparks reciprocity. So you don't throw into the pot things that are difficult for you to do, but you throw into the pot things that are easy for you to do without keeping track of every single minute or every single penny. Yeah. Don't be a counter. (laughs) Everyone hates that. (laughs) What you were saying about in networking situations is making it easy for people to say yes. And a really simple way of doing that is only ask if you're going to First of all, don't say pick someone's brain, but if you're going to ask for some time to ask them some questions or get advice, I recommend, I don't know what you do, just 15 minutes because Mm -hmm. it's easy to say yes to 15 minutes and it's radically different from half an hour. Yeah, I agree. And I always ask people, I'm like, also, you should be the one who directs the conversation. I don't know about you, but I really like irks me when someone wants to 
you know, quote unquote, pick my brain. And then I'm basically running the whole conversation. And I'm basically at the point where I'm like, so what can I help you? With? Like, why are we doing this? You know? So I know this is about influence and not networking, but that is influence. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, they all kind of blend together, right? Yeah. And when you're asking somebody for help, if you are not directing the conversation, this is the mind reading thing that we were talking about. And also, if you only have a plan for 15 minutes, you have to plan it very carefully. Like you and I have a short conversation and you've carefully planned your questions. And we're going in different directions because we feel like maybe this is helpful, but you were super prepared to have us focused for this short conversation and make sure everyone gets something good out of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's wrap up with your most practical and actionable tips for cultivating charisma in both an in-person and virtual work setting. Since, you know, the whole return to office, I know that's a hairy conversation. More of us might be doing that, but let's just say some of us get to stay virtual. Let's include that too. Sure. There's a whole chapter in the book on charisma with a number of different tips, but I'll give just one for real life, say public speaking and one for Zoom. And for real life public speaking, the secret to charisma, and I'll teach you in the book how to do it, but the secret to charisma is that you pay attention in a focused way to only one person at a time and you connect with them before then shifting your focused attention to another human being. It's weird, but the way to connect with many is to connect with one. And then other people will feel vicariously connected with you. They feel your attention. And that's what makes you charismatic. It's much more like listening than like speaking. That's what I was going to ask is like, it sounds like another tool of creating influence at work is to be a really good listener, a very present listener, right? Absolutely. And there's another chapter in the book on deep listening and a particular mindset to help get to a deep level at work or in any context relatively quickly. On Zoom, one of the best things that you can do as a participant in a group meeting is just smile and make eye contact with the camera. It's very simple, but it makes a big difference. And one of the best things that you can do as a manager or someone running a meeting on Zoom is to cold call and use people's names rather than just opening up with a question that you then sit there and wait for people to jump in. Zoom is not a good environment for that. Yeah. One thing, speaking of charisma and listening, one thing I've noticed over the years when I talk to people, this was back when I was doing things in person and also virtually, is people who say someone's name in the middle of a conversation. I remember I went to this networking event once and Sally Krawcheck was there and I'm like a super fan of hers. She's the CEO of L of Us for people who don't know. And I noticed that at the cocktail party, she would read people's name tags and she would say, well, Lauren, before she would answer the question. And I have to tell you, that made me feel so special because I was like, she knows my name. She doesn't probably know my name, but it was like such a clear, and I know this sounds weird, but it was like CEOs, I feel like they get there in life because they've got this charisma and these interpersonal skills that feel like a mystery. But I was like, that's not a mystery. Like I should just start doing that to people. And I tried to be much better about doing that. Like as I would talk to people saying like, you know, hi, Zoe, like how, or, you know, Zoe, that's a really good question or something. And like to hear you say that, I'm like, 
I can remember having a physical reaction to being like, wow, you are like really good at this. Yeah. Wasn't that she was really good at it. It was that I felt like she was listening to me and speaking directly to me. Yeah. And when you say you had a physical reaction, you really did. And recent neuroscience research has shown that our brain has a unique activation when we hear our own name. That's this self-referential network where you really your brain lights up and goes, oh, she's talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's why when you're sleeping, so people can be talking and you don't hear it. But then when they say your name, when they say Lauren, you're like, what? Or yeah. <laughs> you can be at a, an event or a party bar. It's loud. But when somebody says Lauren, you look over. Yeah. It, that's so funny. It's like that little dopamine hit. Okay. So to wrap up, I would say three takeaways for me from this conversation, if I'm trying to create more influence at work is be a great communicator. So consistent communication through those emails, direct communication. I would also say ease, right? So making it really easy for people to say yes to your request. And I also think this is a great tip. Listening slash one thing you could do today is start repeating people's names or saying their name more often when you're talking to them. It will make them feel special. And I do think, and I don't know, you probably have actual signs on this. I think making people feel special and unique or like they're important is a part of influence too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you're showing them that they're a person and you respect them and you like them rather than you're this obstacle or means to me getting what I want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Can I put a shout out here for another episode of your podcast? Yes. The recent interview that you did with Lisa Vesterland about her book, The No Club is one of the best podcast episodes I've listened to. And I bought the book even before I finished listening to the episode and I just posted about it. So everyone listening to this episode, if you like this stuff, listen to that one too, The No Club. Yeah. That was an incredible episode. And to be honest, she schooled me during that episode. She was like, you're saying this, but I, and I was like, I do this all day, every day. And for me to have unconscious bias about some of these things related to non-promotable tasks with women at work, I thought it was so good. I walked away from that one being like, sometimes I walk away from these episodes. I'm like, I know that's a good one. And I had that feeling. I was like, this is a good one. I hope people, yeah. So I'll, I'll link to that also in the show notes for anyone who doesn't want to hunt and peck for it. But yeah, her book, The No Club is also fantastic. Not to mention, speaking of fantastic books, Zoe, you have a book. So tell everyone where they can follow you, learn more about your work. Your book is called Influence is Your Superpower. I assume they can buy it wherever books are sold. That's right. My name is Zoe Chance. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my website, zoechance.com. And I'd be glad to connect and be friends with y'all. I have a free course that will be launching in the fall on Coursera available in at least eight languages. The book is being published in 28 languages. So lots of ways amazing. to learn. Congratulations. Thank you. That is so amazing. And for people who haven't written a book, just like to be able to say that you've written the book and you've done that work is already amazing. But the, the languages and the course on top of it, congratulations. That's great. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. If you would be so kind to rate and review our show, wherever you are listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful. And don't forget, if you want to learn more about Dr. Zoe Chance and her book, which you can purchase, it's Influence is Your Superpower. We've put all of that in the show notes, as well as that episode she referenced about Lisa Vesterlin about the No Club. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. 